God is so good. How many are happy to be in church this morning? Amen. I know summer is supposed to be coming to an end, but I'm going to enjoy every bit of it. How many are going to make the most out of these last days of summer? I remember last year uh, during October, it got really cold fast. Uh, brothers, will you prepare this uh, podium for me here? Uh, Lawrence, would you do that for me? Thank you. I want to talk to you today out of the Bible about Jesus being the leader of the second exodus. Somebody say the second exodus. I'm not sure if you know, but there is a second exodus in the Bible. Brother Lawrence, would you come up here for me, please? I'll explain to you. Just look at your neighbor and welcome them here. Oh, thank you, sister. Could you just grab that for me, please? How many know there's a second exodus? Be honest. Does anybody know? Anybody? Second exodus? Brother, would you just, uh, I, I need that. Thank you. That's okay. That's okay. This is how I normally preach. Would you lift it up for me? Thank you, my brother. I know it's, I know it's difficult. Pastor's asking you to do stuff. People looking at you. It's like, what's going on? You forgetting everything I've ever done on the pulpit before with this thing. I know. One day you'll remember what I did with this. Amen. Thank you. Oh, how many got to just love your pastor? Love my brother. Amen. Church is family. Okay, going back to the second exodus. How many understand there's a second exodus? Some of you are taking me by my word already, and you're like, okay, there is. But I want to ask you, without those who have heard me speak on this, because I talked about it a little bit in leadership this week, but I want to know, anyone here who hasn't heard me talk about it, have you heard anybody talk to you about the second exodus? Most of you have not heard. Now, this is cool because you're going to hear about it today. Now, in my 20-plus years, I never heard about it. I was listening to Anthony Rogers debate somebody on the book of Mark and the divinity of Christ. You can look this up, Anthony Rogers, deity of Christ, Mark. You know, you put it all in there, you'll find it. When I heard him go to Mark, I was like, well, this is going to be interesting because most of the people who do not believe in the divinity of Jesus will love to go to Mark as a gospel because it doesn't seem on the outside to have all the bells and whistles of some of the other gospels about Jesus' divinity. And so people choose this one because Mark is pretty much just straightforward, telling facts, getting you to the crucifixion and resurrection. And so... When this subject came up, I thought to myself, this is going to be interesting. I want to see how Anthony Rogers, this amazing Christian, is going to show the deity of Christ in the gospel of Mark. I mean, to take that on as a debate, that's a big, that's a big challenge. In other words, uh, a person who does not believe in the deity of Christ, maybe like a Jehovah Witness, this was a Unitarian person that's similar to a Jehovah Witness, would not want to debate us on the Gospel of John. How many know from verse 1, you blowed up? Verse 1, you're blowed up. Jesus is God. Now you got to start figuring out the Greek. You, you know, you got to make excuses. Jesus is getting worshipped as God. All of this is happening. Thomas is saying, my Lord and my God. You know, there's a lot going on in the book of John. Uh, Jesus is saying over and over again, I am before Abraham was, I am. So I'm listening to this discussion, and I'm thinking to myself, Brother Anthony, how, how are you going to do this? And then he brought out this motif that has been passed down, and most of us don't know, but it has been a part of church history, that in the book of Mark, Jesus is leading a second exodus, and that Mark actually knows this, and Mark is actually using this as his theme. 
Now, before I get into this, I want you just to think about how many times the New Testament authors use Jesus as the fulfillment of the types and shadows of the Old Testament. So we know Paul. Paul's a teacher, and Paul brings it right out in front of us like we have no choice but to accept it. He literally calls Jesus the second Adam. So you're supposed to understand that Adam was created without sin for a purpose. Jesus comes in the Mary, uh, the uh, you know the the womb of Mary born of a virgin for a purpose. Boom. It's really simple. You're supposed to get that. And then he begins to talk about, and I believe he's the author of Hebrews, he, th- he then begins to use this terminology better. Everybody say better. Jesus is better than angels. So if Jesus is above angels and the only thing above angels is God, you're supposed to understand Jesus is equal to God. So Jesus is better than angels. Jesus is better than Moses. So he's not just a a man. He is the God man. Jesus is better than the sacrifices. Jesus is the once and for all sacrifice. How many of you remember reading that in the book of Hebrews? Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Jesus is greater. And so when these authors do that, you know they're looking back towards the Old Testament and they're pointing towards uh, Jesus. Uh, Jude talks about Jesus leading the people out of uh, the wilderness, that he was there. He was the angel of the Lord, messenger of the Lord in the time of Israel. We also learn about this in Peter, that the prophets spoke about Jesus, that literally the Spirit of Christ, everybody get this, the Spirit of Christ was in the prophets prophesying about Christ. Do you remember hearing that phrase before by Peter? The Spirit of Christ? No? Some of you? Google it when you have time. Spirit of Christ, look it up. So Christ was present in the Old Testament. But Mark, Mark is a little bit more sneaky, or we should say Mark is a little bit more subtle. Are you ready for the second exodus in the Gospel of Mark? All right, go to Mark chapter 1, verse 1. Go to Mark chapter 1, verse 1. Let this encourage you today. Let this help you read Mark in a way you've never seen it, and then let it, uh, the message itself deliver you into a new place, because that's what Jesus came for, was to deliver us and bring us to a promised land, a new place. Now go to Mark chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning of John's gospel, he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Now notice here with Mark, where does he start? The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. He starts right here at the beginning of Christ and his ministry. Does everybody get what he's doing there? He has a beginning, but he doesn't go back as far as John. That would seem like it's a disadvantage to us. How are you going to prove the divinity of Christ? Now, some might just say, well, it calls him the Son of God. That must mean he's God. Well, you have to build a better argument than that because you have to remember the angels in the book of Job are called the sons of God. Does everybody know that? The Bible also calls prophets the Son of God. And so if you're just going to say, well, there he's the Son of God, that that means he's equal to the Father, you're going to have to build a long way up to that. And I believe that you can at the baptism and at other places because what, what it's said about Jesus is that he is God's beloved Son in the book of Mark. He is God's beloved Son. And the beloved Son, like in John, is a unique, only begotten, and therefore... 
as a father has a nature and gives it to his son or to their children, Jesus is not just a son as a creation of God as we are, as angels are, but he is a son as in nature. By those terms, beloved, only begotten, and so forth. Does everybody get that? But that takes a whole different route. You're not getting there directly from Mark uh, at the beginning there. Now, like I said, in John, you're getting there right at the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So, so notice this. But hold on. It's going to get actually better in some ways than I think even John. And I'm going to tell you why in just a moment. But it's staring you right here in the face in these next few verses that most of us just run right through. Watch this. The beginning of the good news or the gospel, that's what gospel means, about Jesus the Messiah. That means he's coming to fulfill all those prophecies that was, uh, you know, given according to the descendant of David ruling on God's throne, establishing his kingdom. Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, which we believe is equal in nature, but right now we don't know that. We have to get to that in just a moment. As it is written in Isaiah the... The prophet. Now watch this. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for who? Prepare the way for who? The Lord, thank you, make straight paths for him. Now notice this right here, that there is going to come someone to prepare a way for somebody else. We know that someone is going to be John the Baptist. There it is in verse 4. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, and he's preparing the way. But everyone look at verse 3. Who is John the Baptist preparing the way for? A prophet? An angel? The Lord. Now let's go to the quotation. Let's go to the source of those quotations. Go to Isaiah chapter 40. Now this is another thing. He says it's Isaiah, but he combines two. And this is the habit of the writers of the gospel, is that if they are going to combine two prophets together, they'll summarize them as what they would consider the greater prophet or the one who had greater writings in number. So Malachi is also being quoted here with Isaiah, but he simply references Isaiah because Isaiah is the greater prophet. He has the greater work. Do you understand that, what I'm saying? Okay, now go to Isaiah chapter 40 and start around verse 3 here. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for who? The Lord. Now run that mouse over the Lord there, and you'll see the divine name of God, Yohevah in Hebrew, pronounced as Yahweh, also Jehovah. So now we see, going back to Mark, just go back to Mark, just keep this open here. We see, thank you, that the one John the Baptist is preparing for, the person that is coming is Yahweh. Isn't that amazing? But notice this motif that we get right at the beginning. The one that's preparing the way for Yahweh is where? Where is that person? In the wilderness. Right there, if you are astute to the Jewish history, what are you supposed to think when you hear wilderness? You're supposed to think of the Israelites in the what? In the wilderness. And how did they get to the wilderness? There was what? An exodus out of Egypt into the wilderness. And there in the wilderness, they were to be brought to what kind of land? What kind of land were they to be brought to? Oh, y'all getting something now. You might be getting ready for Mark. Are you all ready for Mark? You see, I've been reading this for so long. 
And I didn't catch it. And I'm telling you, I am not an allegorical preacher. I don't look at David's five stones as a five-fold ministry. I don't try to look at everything in the Bible and try to apply it to something. I stay pretty much within the boundaries of what the Scripture is laying out in the black and white. I do believe you can use those Scriptures for those kinds of things, but I don't believe we should base doctrine on it. But at the same time, I want to be aware of what is the Holy Spirit doing through the person of Mark or an author. What is the point of mentioning the wilderness? Why was this prophecy given? And then why does Mark start doing what he does after this motif of wilderness is set up? You're going to find out that it's going to be staring you right in the face, just like you see right here, that actually John 1.1, someone can argue with you from what they would call the oneness perspective and say that the word was simply just the idea of God, and then God uh, manifests his idea in Jesus, and then Jesus goes back to the Father, and so Jesus is in one sense God, but he's not a distinct person, he's more of an idea, he's more of like the personification of wisdom in Proverbs. And so in, in, in the book of John, you can get into a complication of what's going on there. And then sometimes the Jehovah Witnesses will try to say, well, you know, it could be a God. And that's not true. That's not true according to the Greek. But they'll try to argue with you there. But notice here, how can they argue with you? Well, they'll try. But how can they make, rather, a point here about this being anyone other than the Lord when literally the one that, that John the Baptist is preparing the way for, it literally says, says, prepare the way for who? The Lord. I think that is even clearer, in my opinion, than John 1.1, because I don't have to get into the fight of the Greek, and I don't have to try to get into the oneness understanding of Jesus being an idea, the personification of wisdom. I can show here that this is the person of the Lord that is coming, and yet it is not the Father, because the Father is saying, I'm preparing the way for the Lord. And I can show you this in Zechariah, where the Lord prepares the way for the Lord, just like in Genesis, where it says when Sodom and Gomorrah was rained down fire and brimstone. I've showed you this before in 19, where it says, after the Lord met with Abraham, he went and saw Sodom and Gomorrah, and the Lord rained down fire and brimstone from the Lord in heaven. Does everybody remember that? Okay. So here we see the Lord is saying he's preparing the way for the Lord, and that way is in the wilderness. Now go to Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, and see the other reference here of the prophet. I just want to build this up to encourage you. And it says in Malachi 3.1, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before who? Before me. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? So now Jesus is the one speaking to the prophet and says, I will prepare a way for me. I will send my messenger. Then suddenly the Lord who you are seeking will come to his what? His temple. So the one that you've been seeking is going to come to you. You've been looking for him, but he's looking for you. I love this in Malachi because it can't get any more clearer. You take anyone here that denies the divinity of Christ back to these prophecies, it's clear who's coming from Isaiah, and it's clear here that the Lord himself is coming, and he's just not coming in any which way. He's coming after the messenger, and he's going to come to his temple. Where did Jesus love to go and to preach? Where did he do that at? At the temple. The temple. 
He stood there on the greatest day of the, the temple of, uh, of the Feast of Booze, and he said, if anyone is thirsty, let them come unto me and drink. He did that at the temple. Where did he cleanse and knock over things? At the temple. He loved the Jewish temple. He was there. He was there. Okay, now go back to Mark. So let's see if we can put this together. Mark starts his gospel with a motif about God himself coming. But he is not coming in any way that if uh, you, you you weren't paying attention, you would miss it. No, he's coming in a way that if you were paying attention to the prophecies, you would see it clearly as God himself. Not the Father, not the Holy Spirit, but the Son who has been with them from the beginning. He was the one walking with Abraham. He was the one meeting with Moses. He was the one showing up and doing these wonderful things with the prophets. He was the one that Isaiah saw high and lifted up. He was the one that Jeremiah had an encounter with Ezekiel. You would see that Jesus is coming and this way is prepared before him. But now what Mark wants you to understand is that he is bringing you out of the wilderness. Starting from the wilderness, you will hear about him and he will come there with that messenger, but then he will bring you out of that wilderness. He's going to bring you out of that place to a better place, like a promised land, like a Zion. Are you guys ready? Now go to Isaiah chapter 35. Now what comes first, Isaiah 40 or Isaiah 35? Okay, so that means if Mark is quoting from Isaiah 40 and it culminates with the Lord coming, then that means what Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 35, describing when the Lord would come and what it would look like, it would apply to Isaiah 40, wouldn't it? In other words, if I say to you, prior to coming to your house, these are the things I want to do, and then I come to your house, I should keep my word and do the things I said I was going to do. In Isaiah chapter 35, we learn about this motif of wilderness and what's going to happen when the Lord comes to the wilderness. Look at this. Isaiah chapter 35, the desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Now, just open up another tab so everybody can see we're not making up things here. Go to Isaiah 40. Go to Isaiah 40, verse 3. Let's make sure that we're all here on the same page. Nothing up my sleeve. There are no tricks. A voice of one calling in the what? Wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, okay, verse 30, uh, chapter 35 says that this is going to happen where in the wilderness. The wilderness will what? Rejoice and blossom. So when Jesus comes, because we know where this is going to take place and when, now looking back, when Jesus comes to John the Baptist, where is John the Baptist at? In the wilderness. Now at that point forward, what is supposed to begin to happen? The wilderness should begin to rejoice. The wilderness should begin to blossom like the crocus. It will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord. Help me preach it. Uh, Help me preach it. Thank you. The splendor of who? Who will they see the splendor of? Our God. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. Who's coming? Who's coming? 
Thank you. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Now look at all of these things that will happen. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer and the mute tongue will shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. How many are starting to see there's a second exodus? There's a deliverance that's coming. How many know Jesus did those things? That this spiritually and physically began to happen. The burning sand will become a, a pool. The thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where the jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. So all of this is going to happen. And now we know that Jesus was doing those amazing things. Are you guys listening? But watch this. Here it is. Look at verse 8. And the highway will be there. So we're not staying in the wilderness. We're not just staying where the miracles are happening, which is awesome. But we're going to now travel from this amazing transformation of wilderness. We're going to travel there, and we're now going to uh, travel from there to go somewhere. Are you guys tracking? Because a highway brings you somewhere, right? Okay, and the highway will be there, where? In the wilderness, and it will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it, so there's a journey that's going to happen. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there. How many happy no lions will be there? Amen. Nor any ravenous beasts. They will not be found there. But only the redeemed will walk there, and those the Lord has rescued will return. Turn, where are they going? They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sign will flee away. Now, let's see if we can just piece this together. So, there's a prophecy that God Himself is going to come, the Lord is going to come. He is going to come after someone has prepared a way for him in the wilderness. When he comes to that wilderness, the wilderness will then be transformed. And then in the wilderness, a highway will be there where people will take a journey and go to Zion and be singing and shouting. Go back to the Gospel of Mark. Jesus goes into the wilderness to meet John the Baptist. He comes out of the wilderness, and he starts doing mighty miracles, doesn't he? Doesn't Jesus start to do mighty things? And what's one of the first things that Mark shows us that he does? Go to Mark chapter 4, verse 41. When the people of Israel were leaving Egypt, coming into the wilderness, following the highway that God had for them, what was the first great big sign that Jesus did through Moses when Egypt was attacking them or when Pharaoh's army came? What happened right there? The Red Sea was parted and power over the wind and waves, and then there was a destruction of the enemy. Notice, notice Mark here. He tells us that while the disciples are on a ship, the storms come, the winds come, the waves come, the disciples are freaking out. Jesus speaks to the winds and to the waves. They were terrified and asked each other this, who asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. If you heard wilderness and you tied it to the people of Israel in the wilderness, who are you now supposed to say is this that controls wind and waves? 
You just heard that Malachi and Isaiah said, the Lord is coming. The Lord is coming. And now someone called Jesus is now with you in the name of the Lord, controlling the wind and the waves. And you're asking the question, who is this? What does Mark want you to respond back to the disciples with? What answer does he want you to give the disciples when they ask, who is this? You're supposed to say, man, that's the Lord, dude. That's the Lord who came into the wilderness like how he led Moses and them out of the wilderness. He controlled the wind and the waves. Jesus is now with you as God with you, Emmanuel, the Lord, the Son, and he is now controlling wind and waves. Do you see what Mark is doing? Because Mark could have dropped it on you like it was hot. He, he, he could have told you things like John did. John always lets you know what's going on. John says Isaiah wrote these things because he saw his glory. See, see, John just tells you this is why Isaiah talked about Jesus, because he saw him high and lifted up, referring to his encounter in Isaiah 6. But if you notice about Mark, he leaves the question of the disciples unanswered so that you as the reader scratch your head and go, mm, I don't know yet who is this. I have to go back and investigate. Now, what happened when Pharaoh's army came against the people of Israel, they were drowned in the sea, were they not? Go to Mark chapter 5, verse 13. Is it any coincidence that when the demons were delivered out of the demoniac man going into the pigs, where did they go after that? Into the sea, and then they what? Do you think it's any coincidence that God allowed a sign of pigs drowning to happen in his ministry? Do you think Jesus is just randomly doing things? See, most of us would not have understood why is Jesus allowing pigs to drown? That's good lechon right there. Why are you wasting the bacon, Jesus? But you see, Jesus is the one guiding us through his life because I believe once you understand it this way, you can see Jesus fulfilling the Exodus in many ways and in many Gospels. So this is a sign for us to see when God in the Exodus wanted to punish and kill the army that was coming against his people, he drowned them. You are now to look that after he gave the pigs permission, the impure spirits came out and went to the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bake into the lake and were drowned, you're to understand Jesus has power over the enemy. Jesus has the same power over the enemy as he did when he destroyed Pharaoh's army. And now he's teaching us that our enemy is not flesh and blood. We are not establishing a national nation as Israel was called to war and defense or to take land. We are fighting the, we uh, the, we are fighting the enemy with weapons that are spiritual to pull down those strongholds. And he shows us that when it came to killing, to taking out an enemy, he drowned them. And so what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to go back and go, okay, wilderness being led out. We see a miracle with wind and waves. The disciples asking, who is this? We then see the enemy that has impacted this man. He has demonized. These uh, demons have demonized this man. When they are uh, destroyed, they are drowned. Now, what happens in the wilderness after the enemy is drowned? Go to Mark chapter 6, verse 41. What do the Israelites start to do when they get hungry in the wilderness? What happens? They begin to eat manna. Is it natural or is it miraculous? 
What does Jesus do? He takes his disciples out of the city into that wilderness area, and then he miraculously feeds them. He miraculously feeds them. And now it's helpful, and it's always good, but especially here, to look at the other Gospels. What does Jesus want them to understand in John? Out of this miraculous feeding, he literally tells them, Moses gave you manna, and they still died. I'm giving you bread. I'm giving you drink. It's my flesh, and it's my blood. These words I speak are spirit and they are life. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them. They ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten were 5,000. Mark starts off the gospel saying the Lord is coming. Not just an angel, not just a messenger. The Lord is coming, but he's coming to the wilderness. If you were paying attention, you would have said to yourself, man, last time I heard about wilderness and the Lord coming, that was the deliverance of the people of uh, Israel out of Egypt. And then he walks you through the life of Jesus and these signs that coincide with the Exodus, having power over the wind and the waves, drowning the enemy in the lake, and then multiplying the food and miraculous feeding. And then how does... The book of Exodus bring us to the crescendo of this God who has met with Moses in a burning bush, who has led them through these miraculous signs and wonders, fed them miraculously. Even in another place, it says, the rock is Christ, which gave them drink. How does now the book of Exodus give us the pinnacle of this God and his experience? Exodus 33, when he calls up Moses to be with him and to meet with him face to face. And what happens in Mark chapter 9? verse 2. Jesus goes up to the mountain of transfiguration. And who is on that mountain along with Jesus? Moses. Moses. You see, when we look at the book of Exodus, it was all about Jesus delivering his people so that his people could have an encounter with him. Mark chapter 9, please. It's all about God delivering his people to bring them to himself. Now, if you notice, God came down to meet with the people of Israel, but they didn't want to see or meet with God. They became afraid and turned their back on him and then said, we only want Moses to speak to you, and then Moses will speak to us. Do you remember that? And then the work became too great for Moses. And then Mo, uh, you know, Jethro, his father-in-law, came to him and said, what I want you to do is to disperse this work to the others. And so then the Bible says that God told Moses to get together with all the leaders. And the spirit that was on Moses began to come upon the other leaders. And they began to prophesy. How many remember that story? And, and there were some leaders that weren't able to make it to the meeting. Just like, you know, not everybody ever comes. There's always empty seats. Not everybody always comes to church, right? But the other leaders who had came saw those leaders who didn't show up prophesying. And they said to Moses, Moses, these folks that you said to come didn't come, but we see the Spirit on them, and they're prophesying. And what did Moses say back? Oh, to God that all the people were prophets. Y'all remember that? And so here now, Moses, the one who was chosen to be the one that got everybody to be a prophet, becomes the sole prophet of the people, 
And then God says, my heart was that all God's people would be prophets. And Moses recognizes that, that the desire of God is that the Spirit will come on all people. Now look at Mark chapter 9, verse 2. When we see here at the mountain of transfiguration what begins to happen, we now begin to see more people are brought into the outpouring of God in his encounter with man and his spirit. Six days, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John. This is now representing the church having an encounter. We are now going to be the new Israel, and instead of rejecting an encounter with God, on the day of Pentecost, 120 are going to get holy ghosted, roasted, and toasted, and become the prophets of the New Testament. And then from there, Paul is going to say, I wish that all of you would prophesy because God is willing to use in each one. The Holy Spirit is here for everybody. Are you listening? He then took Peter, James, and John with him, led them up on a high mountain. Think of that and just put that in a new tab, Exodus 33, please. A new tab, not the ones that we've already used. Go to a, yeah, go right there. Look at Exodus chapter 33. He brings with him not just one, not just two, He begins to bring with him multiples, three representing the church. Then the Lord said to Moses, leave this place. You and the people brought up out of Egypt, go up to the land I promised you, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, uh, Perizzites, uh, Hivites, Jebusites. Go up to the land uh, flowing with milk and honey. But I will not go with you because you are stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you on the way. Now, I want you to understand this. God is going to keep his promise, but he's going to withdraw even more. At first, he wanted everyone to have an encounter with him. But then when the people rejected that, he said, okay, I'll have an encounter with you. But they keep disobeying Moses. And so now God is saying to Moses, you know what, Moses? I'm going to keep my word to these folks. I'm going to give them a place to live, but I'm not going with you guys anymore. Verse 4, when the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn, and no one put on any ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, tell the Israelites, you are a stiff-necked people. If I were to go with, uh, if I were to even go with you even a moment, I might destroy you. (laughs) How many have ever had parents talk to you like that? I can't even be around you right now. I need you to go to that room, because if I'm around you right now, it's not going to go good for you. Just boot scoop boogie yourself out to that backyard. You just move on out right there because it's not going to go good for you. Jesus is literally saying that to because I believe this is Jesus speaking to them. He said, the Lord said to them, tell them, you're stiff-necked. If I were to go even with you for a moment, I might destroy you. Now take off your ornaments, and I will decide what to do with you. So the Israelites stripped off their party garments, in other words, at Mount Horeb. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance, calling it the tent of meaning. Anyone requiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the camp, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their, to their tent. So Moses would go meet with God, watching Moses until he entered the tent. And as Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud, the pillar of what? Remember the cloud in just a moment, would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of what? cloud standing at the entrance of the tent. They all stood and worshiped, each at the entrance to their tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face. So how would the Lord speak to him? Face to face, as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to camp, but his young age, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. 
Moses said to the Lord, you're telling me, lead these people, but you, uh, you have not let me know uh, whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your way so I may know you and continue to find favor with, favor with you. Remember this nation is your people. The Lord says, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. So now the Lord goes, okay. Well, I'll at least send my presence with you. Before, I wasn't even going to send the cloud, but now I'll send my presence with you. Now, then Moses said, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other peoples on the face of the earth? How many know it's the presence of God that distinguishes us? Amen. And the Lord said to Moses, I will do this very thing you asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. How many know he knows us by name? Then Moses goes one step further. Watch this. And he says, now show me your glory. Somebody say, show me your glory, Jesus. He says, show me your glory. And the Lord says, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one will see my face and live. Now, hold on. I think we just had a contradiction here. Verse 20 says, you can't see my face. Now, scroll back up, please. Scroll back up. Keep going. Keep going. Look at verse 11. The Lord would speak to Moses. How would Lord speak to Moses in, in verse 11? Face to face. But verse 20 says, but you can't see my face. Somebody say the Father and the Son. Remember that. There's the Father and there's the sun, and then there was the what? The cloud. The cloud. Are you all listening? I don't know what you all said there, but I'm going to say it for you. Everybody said a whole bunch of other stuff. But we're going to say this again. There's the Father. There's the Son. We know it's the Holy Spirit, but in this context, we haven't heard the name Holy Spirit, but we know there's the what? The cloud. Okay? Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you can stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I pass by. Then I will remove my hand, and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. Now, there are two ways to understand this, and I'm going to give you the one that I have normally understood it as, and then I'll tell you the one that's a little bit more spiritual, a little bit more granola, fruit, nut, and flaky. Some of you might, might like it, but I'm going to like it. Are you listening? Because I'm kind of going there. I'm kind of I'm going more towards the granola side. Are you listening? But I'm going to tell you the one that's been just kind of standard. Here's the one that's kind of standard, is it's just going to happen, just like how you heard it's going to happen. The Father now is going to make an appearance. But the Father says, you can't see me and live. That's been said all throughout the Scriptures. That's actually one of the reasons why we can use these verses to show the deity of Christ. Because if you're seeing the Lord, but yet there's a Lord who says you can't see, it must mean there's two persons that share the name of the Lord. And then if there's always a cloud of his presence, that's not the, the Father Lord or the Son Lord. There has to be the Holy Spirit Lord. But there's not three Lords. One Lord, one being, one Yahweh shared by three persons. Are you with me? Sounds like baptize them in the name singular of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. The, uh, the Father is Lord, the Son is Lord, the Holy Spirit is Lord. Not three lords, three persons sharing one divine nature of Lord. We're not saying one plus one plus one equals three. We're saying one times one times one equals one because they share of the same nature. But one plus one plus one equals three in persons. In nature, they share the name, multiplication. In persons, it's addition. Does everybody get what I'm saying? There are three persons, one nature. 
This is the, the more standard way. So here comes the father now, and he is going to grant Moses an opportunity somewhat similar to Daniel. Now, Daniel could see the father, ancient of days, and Jesus coming to him, but he was not in an actual place and space on earth. This was a vision. Now we're going to see the father, which could be the only time that we know of in the scripture, is actually going to come, descend to earth, and do something special here, but he's going to hide Moses. That's the standard. Everybody say the standard. Say the spiritual is that Moses now goes in time to the place to see Jesus on the mountain of transfiguration. And that Elisha, when he's caught up, goes to see Jesus. And that time to the Father, Son, and Spirit is like one thing to them, and it's past, present, and future to us. This is like the uh, omni uh, time of God. There's different theories of time. I could get into it, but uh, C.S. Lewis believed that God was timeless, and when he interacted with time, he interacted with it in a timeless nature. Now, could this be true? I don't know, but it's something to think about that now the Father is going to show him something that he has never seen before, and at this moment, he is going to be transported to the time of Jesus on the mountain, and he is going to get a revelation of him. I don't know. I'll let you decide on that. Let's go back to Mark chapter 9, mountain of transfiguration. Whether or not Moses time traveled or Elijah time traveled, we see that they're on this mountain. Jesus now transfigures before them. His clothes become dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before him Elijah and Moses. And so, once again, if you want to take a standard narrative, they're just coming in that time from, from heaven to earth to meet with Jesus. If you want to take it a little bit, little bit time travelly, they are being in the moment of when they are leaving earth or when Moses is on or seeing the Father. They are now seeing this moment. So time to them is irrelevant. It's the next moment to them, however you want to see it. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let's put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He didn't know what to say because he was so frightened. You know? He's just like, man, what should we do, Jesus? I don't know. I'm scared. Let's build some stuff. <laughs> then a what appeared? A cloud appeared, sounds just like his encounter with, uh, Moses' encounter with God, right, and covered them. And then what happened? A voice came from the cloud, says, this is my son whom I love, listen to him. Now put this together in the new Exodus. Go back to Mark chapter 1 verse, please. Uh, Mark chapter 1 verse 1, please. Lawrence, would you come up here? This was not meant to just be uh, theologically tickling to your ears. This was meant to convey a point that I believe Mark wants us to get, that Jesus is leading us in a new exodus, that Jesus is came, has come and is coming to the wilderness of our lives and is transforming those wilderness into pools of living water, and he's healing and he's restoring and he's providing for us a highway of holiness. And I believe that we are to look at Jesus as the people of Israel looked at Moses. And we are to say, Jesus, you have the power of the wind and the waves. You have the power to conquer our enemies. Jesus, you have the power to sustain us and to provide for us miraculously. And Jesus, you are calling us to yourself to have an encounter with you. 
That's the Christian life. That's the Christian life. The Christian life is that when we needed God the most, He came to us. He took on our flesh, yet without sin, so that we might become what He is. He became what I was, that I might become what He is. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. The new exodus is a calling out and a calling to. A calling out of the sin that we had been involved in in our past. A calling out of the wilderness where we had been lost and confused. And a calling to the person of God. Oh, that we were all close to God like Moses. Oh, that we were all close to God like Peter, James, and John. That each one of us would be able to be led by the Lord out of our wildernesses, out of our situations, and come into Zion singing, rejoicing, full of joy. Do I believe God has a calling on our lives to go back into the wilderness to rescue people? Absolutely. But this is not our home. This is not the place where we're going to remain. This kingdom is not ours. There is a kingdom coming. There is a kingdom coming that is going to transcend and be greater than all the kingdoms of this earth. And when I look to Mark and I see him preaching Jesus in the way of the Exodus, I no longer, everybody get this, I no longer look at the story of Moses and say, I wish I was there. That would have been amazing. I wish I was there. No, I'm thankful to be where I am right now. Because when you see, and if you could put it up now, please, in Acts chapter 1, when Jesus has already prepared them in John, and he says, it's good that I go, because if I don't go, the Holy Spirit won't come. But he says right here in verse 4, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, whom you have heard me speak about, for John baptized but water with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. When I hear this, I begin to understand that I have something to do in this kingdom, uh, in this world for the kingdom of God. That my life has purpose now to bring forth the exodus to other people. You see, the Holy Spirit is going to come on you, he said, and it's going to give you power. And you'll receive power, verse 8, to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Now go to Mark 16, please. Because Mark summarizes all of this. Mark is actually the student of Peter, recording his words, we believe. And he was also known as John Mark. Go all the way to the end of Mark, please. I accept the longer ending here. Scholars debate it, but I've accepted it. That's between you and the Lord. Notice how Mark says, you know, Jesus told them these signs are going to happen. We know that's going to happen because the Holy Spirit's going to come on them. So in other words, when these disciples go out, they're going to be a part of that highway of holiness that transforms the wildernesses that they encounter. And then look here at the end. And the Lord, or after the Lord had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven, right? I mean, this is the language also of Acts. He's taken up into heaven, and he sat down at the right hand of God. But what did those disciples do who had experienced that second exodus? They were the first ones. Those disciples went out and preached everywhere. They now wanted to go to those dry lands and to those wildernesses. 
and bring forth the joy of God. Bring forth the healing of God. It says they went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied him. Go back to Isaiah 35 in closing. I just want you to see this is what we're called to do. It's not just to tickle our ears. Isaiah 35, verse 1, please. We're going to go into the wilderness, into the desert, and bring forth rejoicing. We're going to bring forth fruit. We're going to begin to cause other nations and other peoples to give God glory. We are going to be the ones that, look at verse 3, strengthen the feeble hands. Do you get it? Jesus led a second exodus for you and I to be delivered and to bring deliverance to his people. Does everybody see that? That's your, that's your assignment now. Isn't that what you're supposed to do? Jesus did it so that now we follow him until he comes back. Now we strengthen the feeble hands. We do in the name of Christ on behalf of his kingdom. We strengthen those hands. We steady those knees. We say to the fearful hearts, be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. And how do we say it now looking back at his first coming? As surely as he came the first time, he's coming the second time. Your God will come. We say to the nations that may be suffering persecution right now, our brothers and sisters in Korea, South, uh, North Korea, in Afghanistan, and these different Muslim nations, we say, don't be afraid. Be strong. Your God will come with vengeance. Divine retribution, he will come to save you. Why did most of the Jewish people miss the entire understanding of Jesus bringing the second exodus? Because they didn't understand his first and second coming. They thought after he had did all of those things, surely now the kingdom would come. That's what the disciples asked about in the book of Acts. Okay, now that you've done all of this, we see you're greater than Moses. You're greater than the temple. You're greater than the sacrifices. You're greater than the feast. They all find their fulfillment in you. You are the original. Those are the shadows. So when is the kingdom coming? And he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. In other words, go bring the exodus to the nations. It's not just for Israel. Go tell the world what I have done for you. Then the eyes of the blind will be open. How many want to see blinded eyes open, both spiritually and naturally? Then the ears of the death will be open spiritually and naturally. I want to see this. Then the lame will leap like a deer spiritually and naturally. And the water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Literally and spiritually, God is doing this even now in Israel as they're taking back the land and bringing forth vegetation. The burning sand will be a pool of thirsty ground, bubbling springs. And the haunts where jackals once lay grass, reed and papyrus will grow. And that highway will be there, that way of holiness. I want us to walk this way all the way to the book of Revelation, all the way to his second coming. Let's see if they even put the book of Revelation here because this is cited in the book of Revelation. Hit that J right there. Touch that J. Let's see if they tell you the reference there. Has it in Peter, but it's also in Revelation. How many know one day we're going to go to New Jerusalem with Jesus and the nations will be coming there with us that we have brought to the Lord? Amen. Do you want to go there with Jesus? Let's give it up for him. Would you stand up today? Amen. Band and altar workers, would you come, please? The Bible says that we will come rejoicing into New Jerusalem.
that the people that we've preached to and witnessed to there will be with us. In the book of Revelation, chapter 22, it says, And the angel showed me the river of the water of life. That's the Holy Spirit flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. There's the Father, Son, and Spirit down that great street of the city. And on each side of the river was the tree of life bearing the 12 crops of fruit, yielding fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are healing of the nation. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and His servants will serve Him. I want to believe God today that we won't miss it because we're so caught up in all these tribulations happening in front of us. Don't you know the Bible said there would be tribulations? Don't you know that, friends? How many know the Bible said that? Don't be distracted from what God is doing. He said there would be wars and rumors of wars. Have you heard about them lately? He said they would be here. Didn't he say there would be disease and pestilence? Have you heard about them lately? He said they would be here. He said there would be false Christ. How many have heard about some false Christ? False prophets, have you heard about them? So why be shooken up by these things? Don't think it's strange. We're getting ready to meet our God and to go to Zion with Him on this highway of holiness. Let us make sure that our hearts are ready in an attitude of prayer right now. I know Sister Tina already prayed for those who maybe didn't know God, but before we leave here, just one more time, if you don't know Jesus in an attitude of prayer, would you just ask the Lord to come into your heart, be the Lord of your life, to deliver you, to be, to be unto you your deliverer, to take you out of the wilderness of sin, to take you out of the wilderness of living for yourself? If you don't know Jesus, proclaim him to be your Lord. Proclaim his death, burial, and resurrection to be that which you will live by. And for the rest of us, those who are Christians, in an attitude of prayer right now, would you ask the Lord? to deliver you from anything in the wilderness that has got you tempted or is holding you back, that is hot like hot sand around you, that is discouraging, would you ask the Lord to flood your wilderness with his presence, to change your stinking thinking, to break habits, to set you free, to live free for him, that the that the hot sands of your mind would become pools of refreshing as you begin to get refreshed by the word of the Lord. Ask the Lord to renew your mind. That maybe the, the desert of your marriage today would begin to blossom. That young people, maybe the discouragement of your generation would begin to blossom. That the wilderness of your teenage years would become fruitful unto God. Anyone here need their wilderness? Turn into a highway of holiness. Few moments and we'll dismiss. Few moments, few moments. Pray, pray. Don't, do not leave here with the desert. Do not leave here in the wilderness. Let the wilderness be transformed and follow the highway of the Lord. If you're right now wanting to come receive prayer, you can. We'll dismiss formally in a moment. You can pray then as well with our leaders, but you can feel free to come. But I want to pray for one more group of people. And those are for those who know they're saved, sanctified, but you want to use what God has given you to go into the wildernesses of this culture and be an answer. You want to bring the rivers of living water that the Holy Spirit promised. You want to be filled to overflowing. Right now, would you ask the Lord to use you? God, use us on our jobs. The wilderness of our jobs needs your presence. 
Use us in our families over this uh, Labor Day weekend, oh God. Use us, oh God, with our family and friends to fill up the empty pools of their lives with your presence to show them the goodness of our God. The goodness of our God. Your loving kindness draws people to repentance. Lead us to the LGBTQ community to bring the rivers of your presence, to change the wilderness of sexual confusion into healing and prosperity, into blessing, into fruitfulness. Use us, O God, in all of the spheres of influence, in politics, in entertainment, in corporate America. Use us, O God, in education. The educational world, colleges are starting up across this nation, are a desert, a place of thorns and thistles. Let's believe God for his rivers to flow out, for revivals to happen again. Do you know that revival has happened before at U of I? Illinois' largest university had a revival, I believe, in the 60s and 70s of missionaries being sent out around the world from the college campus. You can look it up, the revival of U of I. Do it again, Jesus, Northwestern, Northeastern, Chicago University. Pour out your spirit over the wilderness. Pools of refreshing. We break the spirit of depression over young people, the spirit of suicide, despair. In the name of Jesus. Few moments, come on, let's pray for God to fill up the wilderness with rivers, rivers, rivers of living water.